0: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast. Uh, maybe a panelist wants to escape this question. <laughs> so, Dinesh uh, you want to take the next question? Yeah, so um, I also wanted to something, just one more thing I wanted to understand pertaining to this. Because these are the kind of questions we get to hear from a lot of our leaders. And another question was that RBI has given a framework. uh, RBI has uh, told banks that these are your options and you can choose whatever you want among these. So when a financial institution is choosing what option to take, let's say whether to offer a moratorium or not to offer a moratorium, what are these choices guided by? So let's say there's an ex-financial institution, a government bank, which says that, okay, I will give you moratorium. Then let's say there is an ABC by uh, NBFC, which may say that I will extend your loan tenure, but I don't give you an option of moratorium. So such considerations, what are these guided
1: by? So if I may, um, and to allay Renu's concerns that none of the questions are being circumvented or avoided. I think it's just an uncertain time, right? I think the first one that you mentioned, the moratorium, was a little easier, right, in terms of it was just a view that you take on whether you want to give the customer a choice to opt in or opt out, right? The choice was with the customer. The guidelines were very clear. Your account has to be current on a, as on a certain date, and it is for loans disbursed as on a certain date. So I think that was that was easy, and I can speak from our experience uh, we took a tough call to say that we will give the customers a moratorium and educate them and ask them if they want to opt out but we don't want a situation where the customer short change later right because a lot of customers realize some of these things later so you also have to put mechanisms in place to address things retrospectively i think when it comes to restructure there are a few things to be taken into account right as i mentioned clearly there is displacement so customer contactability becomes critical you have to have that conversation with the customer Uh, post the moratorium second thing is what situation is the customer in if the customer themselves or themselves think that they this is a temporary problem and they want to sort of take a moratorium further knowing that this may add to the interest obligation that's one solution Uh, of course if the customer feels that this is a slightly more permanent nature they may themselves think that restructuring is a better way for them to go or if not even a settlement or maybe just continue to pay. So I think the job of a bank or an NBFC here is probably not to just offer a straight-jacketed solution. It's more just to understand where the problem is. And even for the customers, it's not an easy question to answer. If somebody's recently lost employment, they would love to believe that they'll get back on the saddle in the next month, but nobody knows, right? So I think it's that balancing act which which is the tricky one. Very
0: true.
1: Yeah,
2: so, I, yeah, I agree uh, what has been said. See, Finally, it's it's the number of options which the uh, financial institution can present, but it's also the view uh, of the customer. And like I said, a lot of customers really understand that they do not want to go in for restructuring unless it's the last resort. And for a lot of customers, they want to get out of it faster as well, So, which is why I'm saying it depends. So say, for example, if I'm running a business, I, I'll just give an example. If I'm running a, a essential commodity business, probably I'll say, uh, I need three months of it. If I'm running a restaurant, it might be a longer uh, requirement. So uh, it, it can't be a one-size-fits-all kind of a product that uh, this is the product everybody needs to take. It'll be a joint conversation and then we'll come back to a resolution or a, or, or a final solution which will be ac- acceptable to both sides. Specifically answering your question on uh, what will you look at, we will look at uh, where does the customer believe his business is right now or his job what are his cash flows? Is it a loss of job or is it a just a salary cut? And all those factors will come into play in de- deciding uh, the final resolution. Obviously, the most critical thing is the fact that we are providing this resolution for customers who are impacted by COVID. And 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 I think that's the background which has been laid down by the regulator as well.
3: Right. Okay. So so you you will need to assess that prima facie that the person has been impacted by COVID. It could be an MSME, could be a salaried individual. And unlike moratorium, it is not a binary solution. There will be multiple options. Are you giving, like we spoke about, a principal moratorium, a principal plus interest, a step up, step down, whatever, tenor extensions, on and so forth. So there will be a multitude of options available. And there will be some amount of, if I may call it, underwriting involved for one to assess. You know, unlike moratorium, where you could have just done your risk segmentation internally, and based on that, uh, went ahead with, you know, whether to allow someone to opt in or opt out. Here, it will be more evolved process, which which would need to be factored. Okay, so uh, so far, uh, what has been the demand like for restructuring of loans? So, so far, so, uh, early I'll risk. tell
0: you why the question, because most of the banks who uh, whose comments have been published in the papers, have said that they haven't seen much demand. Uh, as yet, so that's why the question that how's how's the demand in your experience?
3: Yeah, I read about the outgoing chairman of SBI stating that total restructuring could be limited to twenty thousand crores, and I was actually surprised. Uh, I'd be very yes. happy if it is limited to that amount in the industry. But uh, earlier, so like I was mentioning earlier, there was mm. one set of customers who you know who were already waiting, or maybe who were a little bit more aware, or who possibly are more impacted by COVID. So they've obviously come knocking on the doors uh, to the customer service and various other channels that we have, saying we need moratorium. Uh, currently, uh, the people who have sought moratorium is even less than two percent of our, you know, overall portfolio. So so far it okay, is wow. it's quite uh, you know quite good. But I'm assuming that as as times pass, you know, as people make the decision whether to go for it as a last resort or not. Or, and as as see, please understand, more, sorry, the restructuring can be done till December for salaried personal loans and all. And for MSMEs, it can be done till March, effectively. So there's enough time. And you will see, like Anshul pointed out, you know, people, some are holding on that, okay, my restaurant is open now, maybe I'll be able to pay back my EMIs. But you will see things will evolve as somebody might be thinking of festive demand picking up and taking care of his or her business. So on, so exactly. forth, so it will
2: have to be, it will have to be wait watch. Exactly. So actually, uh, the demand right now is not even a percentage point. And, and I believe, uh, I'll I'll draw a corollary. Uh, there is a government scheme on emergency lending. You had customers two months back uh, saying that we do not want it, and their customers now saying that now that our businesses have started and we need cash flow, we would like to opt for it. So, so you will see it play out over time. And those customers understand that taking an emergency loan, uh, which comes at a much lower rate makes much more sense to get their cash flows back into place rather than getting restructured. So, so uh, all this will play out over the next, uh, three to six months. And the reason why I'm saying three to six months is while the window is still December for individual customers and for like personal loans and stuff, for the MSMEs, the window is slightly uh, longer. Still much, and, I, yeah. and, I, and, and I think that that is where it will get played out over time. But, uh, uh Initial days, uh,
1: honestly speaking, uh, minuscule demand. Yeah, I tend to agree. We've seen uh, low single digits, less than three, four percent till now.
0: Okay. So, um, I mean, if I have to uh, ask all of you one question, that uh, including even Adil, uh, maybe you can start with it. That uh, how much are you? I mean now. We have seen that in the past, when when we had a complete lockdown, a lot of bankers saying that we will focus on our existing customer. So if our existing customer who may have one product and need another product, we will give it to them. So how much are you approaching your existing customer for recurring business versus chasing new
4: leads? Right. So... um... See, most of the work we do at Bank Bazaar is helping uh, uh, banks access new customers or vice versa, right? What I'd like to say in my perspective is that I think there's been a leveling of the playing field uh, between existing and new customers. And to uh, explain, I'm going to draw on what the panelists have said, right? So uh, right now, like Anshul said, the bureau is very mature. Uh, If there is one factor that every bank is looking into, is to see what is your credit score. It makes a big, big difference out there right now. Secondly, right, even if it's a new customer, uh, we don't have to physically meet you, right? We are able to do the video KYC. It's 100% contactless. Uh, What I'm seeing, right, uh, is the demand for new customers uh, is starting to come back. Uh, And I think everyone realizes that uh, there are so many millennials out there. Uh, These people might be, Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 taken a loan for a consumer durable, they might have taken uh, uh, some kind of uh, short-term loan and now they're ready for a credit card or now they're thinking about uh, uh, auto loan or now they're thinking about a personal loan. Uh, I'd say that technology has become a great leveler. Uh, The same kind of uh, risk analytics and the same kind of technology uh, today, right, uh, using video KYC, the same kind of onboarding experience can be offered for a new customer so i personally definitely from the bank bazar perspective see demand for new customers increasing
3: so i think uh, i think what is what is happening is that and and having spent nearly a decade and a half in a bank i can tell you this that you know the banks have an added advantage right and that added advantage is that they would have access to customers' bank account. And so therefore, they would be able to see firsthand if the customer is impacted because of the pandemic, if the salary is being credited, or if the cash flows for an MSME are getting, you know, are drying up, are how how badly impacted it is. So that was also one of the reasons why the lenders were looking inwards, right? And that was more true of the banks than of the NDFCs. Uh, the second thing was, uh, obviously, you know, uh, for banks and for larger banks, the digital journey was always there for existing customers, while they spent time and energy and effort to build a digital journey for new-to-bank customers. For example, if you know there was to be a pipe set up with Bank Bazaar to do you know new business, and if it wasn't there, that required effort to be done. But my existing customers, my existing account holders, I could very easily you know reach out to them, and there was always an uh, you know internal cross-sell mechanism available so so one the risk angle of it second the feasibility or accessibility angle of it those two played out uh, nicely here and which is why initially during the pandemic people were looking at their existing customers. of course now most of the people are out reaching, uh, you know to the new customers and uh, you know business is trying to get back to normalcy in that sense
0: okay.
1: So I guess uh, if, I, if I can give that a shot. From our perspective, uh, at least on the Digibank side, we've always been an outsider. We didn't have the luxury of uh, a large base. So while being a bank, we've always seen ourselves as quite different, right? We've always tried to look at designing for new operations, looking at the customer end-to-end, looking completely its seamless journey, right? And these are not just words that we use. So for us, we'd imagined the journey both for existing customers and new-to-bank customers in a digital manner. Of course, there were some physical enablers which may be required. Now, we have not seen a change in focus because there was not too much of internal data that was prima facie being the core of the underwriting in any case. So for us, that view has not changed. For us, what now really depends is how new customers come back, right? What is their first port of call? Because you've got to understand from the customer's perspective, they may take a view and say, I may want to go to this bank or NBFC first, and this is when I'm comfortable. Speaking of personal loans, it's a, it's a very discretionary product. You talk about education, marriage, emergency, holidays. Holidays have dried up (laughs) in a large sense of the word. So as demand comes back, I think there will be a lot linked to that. So just like for the banks, it's been a flight to safety, as we spoke about earlier. I think for the customers also, it's also been what's a logical choice for them. From our perspective, we haven't really made a distinction uh, as long as, you know, the lockdown has not uh, inhibited us to do so. Yeah, I agree,
2: and uh, and I think we you need to look at slightly from a segment perspective. A lot of customers, say for example, in home loans, are reaching out to you to get their rates reduced. And if the customer is pristine on the bureau, uh, why will you not lend? So it's it's not about whether lending you to an exi- existing customer or a new to bank customer. Existing customers, obviously, you have incremental data available, and it's easier. But I think that distinction uh, does not exist in the minds uh, as we move forward. And depending on segments, uh, new to banks, especially like Adil was mentioning, cards, is one space which uh, uh, I think will continue to grow.
0: In fact, a lot has been spoken about credit bureaus uh, by all the panelists. I also want, I always, I mean, uh, we also spoke to, uh, we also speak to credit bureaus and they have spoken about uh, making available new tools to lenders talking about uh, newer analytics, talking about giving robust uh, big data. So just wanted to understand uh, in the past eight months since the lockdown was announced, uh, what are the kind of new tools, analytics and things that offering that you have seen, uh, which must have come from uh, credit bureaus, which were not there available earlier. So what are the new offering they have come to you with?
2: Oh, okay, so uh, see what has happened is a uh, couple of uh, new uh, tools were introduced by the credit bureau pre-COVID as well. Uh, and the utilization of those tools has uh, gone up. So, for example, they have created, if you're talking about something specifically new, they've created new algorithms where you de- determine the structural resilience of customers. So how the customer has moved or how his payment cycles have moved will help you determine whether the customer is a long-term good customer or, or, or in which bucket it lies. Aside to that, I think uh, uh, the bureau and the financial institutions now work so closely that our ability to uh, call on them for any kind of uh, uh, incremental analytics or for doing data scrubs to see what's happening, as as well as they telling us how our own portfolios keep on moving has enhanced uh, uh, over time. And I think uh, a large part of it was seen in the COVID period because, uh, given there was a pandemic you realized the need and then you said that, okay fine it makes sense to probably uh, use each and every tool and use it much on a much uh, if I may say regular basis rather than uh, say once a quarter or once in six months kind of a basis so in that sense the bureaus have been extremely helpful.
3: See what you need to understand is for a bureau uh, there were two two uh, major revenue fronts right one was new originations it was uh, Big chunk, right? And second was, of course, depending upon the portfolio side, the the revenue out of the portfolio. Now, since new originations dried up, it was natural for bureaus also to start focusing on the portfolio side. And which is why, what Anshul pointed out, they came to all the lenders with a lot of, you know, uh, specific pertinent uh, action points there. But I think, you know, uh, speaking dispassionately, I feel uh, bureaus could have done a lot more in this pandemic. uh, uh, they would have, you know, they could have been a lot bigger help than than they were for, for simple, you know, for the sake of simplicity, you know, today, even today, you don't have really a flag in a bureau uh, trade line talking about it being on moratorium or not. You don't, uh, you can't really identify the whether a particular person has taken a moratorium or not. Those are simple things, right? I think uh, maybe technology, maybe whatever it is, uh, which could have been done better from a bureau
1: perspective? Yeah, I would say we've been working closely with the bureaus for a, for a while. It's not so much about new products as the relevance of those products. Previously, you look at the score trade line data, you'll have your internal scorecards, you'll have internal data, you'll marry that, you'll look at the customer, at least for customers on the bureau. What's changed, I guess, is that now you've got to go beyond that, right? You've got to also look at how the customer is performing in terms of payments outside. So you've got to start looking at that. You don't want to be the last in line uh, to reach a customer. You also want to make sure you are empathetic towards where the customer is. So your understanding of the customer or the need to understand the customer situation is increased. So I think it's existing products the Bureau had, but the relevance has, has, has gone up, at least in my view. Oh.
4: Yeah, and just very quickly, right? I'll talk from the consumer side. There is a tremendous awareness today that your credit score is important. This didn't exist three, four years ago. Today, right, everyone everyone knows that I have a credit score, the credit score will change every time I pay back uh, my EMI, my credit card bills, that awareness has skyrocketed. And I think that's going to be good for building a prudent credit culture exiting this COVID pandemic.
0: So uh, that also just makes me wonder about one thing, that let's say if I'm a customer who's new to credit, okay, uh, let's let's agree on one thing that there is still some bit of caution that financial institutions still have so you may look at my income but there is still this whole environment of uncertainty so my question is let's say if I am a new to credit customer and I come to you with decent income which meets your criteria but don't i mean I would like to believe and tell me if I'm wrong that financial institutions would like to deeper dive into the person's data rather than just looking at the income. So uh, are there any surrogates that you guys have started using now or maybe which something that was an idea earlier which you guys have started implementing now? Or also, how do you look at just standalone data that you used to look earlier? And is there any difference that you uh, do it now? Has anything changed now for you to look deeper into the customer's income and other criteria?
3: So I'll take that. So I think, uh, you know, uh, earlier, or, you know, it's been always the case that you are looking at income, which is the ability to pay, and the intention to pay for any individual when you are underwriting from a credit standpoint. Now, uh, for a new to, uh, credit customer, of course, the intent to pay cannot be, uh, you know, gauged because he or she may not have any bureau footprint in that sense. So, you were always wanting to look at certain other factors. It could be demographics in the past. Uh, it could, and as things evolve, alternate data has been looked at. So, if if I would call it from a pandemic perspective, nothing has changed. So our new two credit uh, criteria always uh, factored in alternate data, factored in demographics, factored in the income, of course, and uh, that continues to be the case. And uh, you know, it also depends upon what kind of product are you offering. So. You know, products fit in a different lifestyle terms for a customer, right? So you will also guess that. So I don't think any for us, speaking from a perspective, we haven't really changed our criteria for a new to credit customer.
1: I would have to agree. I I I would say that new to credit was a different. uh, It was a different way. You wanted more data. You wanted to understand the customer because your intent and ability, which you use the past behavior as a proxy. Actually, that concept itself is passe now, if you really look at it. That has changed. The problem is that the alternatives that you have for that don't mimic transactional data that closely. And if they do, they don't mimic it to that magnitude. right? Also, the profile of a new to credit, depends, right? It's very different for a person who's been working for 20, 30 years, still new to credit versus a person who's a first jobber. And it's got his first employment and is looking at a first loan for a consumer durable. So I I think that spectrum has not changed. I will, however, agree that given the current situation, it's brought to light uh, sort of the the fallacy that, you you know, you can just look at one uh, bureau data or the trade lines or whatever and and make a decision. And while a lot of people and I'm speaking this from from more from a personal view, not, you know, I think for the industry as a whole, it's it's kind of like a wake up call that the model does need to change, right? Now whether we'll fall back to old habits a few months down the road, you know, who knows? But I I do think to Adil's point earlier, right? Some of this change hopefully is irreversible, and it will benefit the consumers. Okay, so we started
0: from uh, the technology and the changing uh, way we the the, the changing way uh, lenders are looking at. Uh, the the new technology and the way uh, lending is changing post-COVID, there is an interesting trend uh, that uh, we have started observing. We are seeing more and more new banks are coming uh, uh, in the country. And as of now, I've seen most of the focus is on uh, investment and banking products. But do you think, one, will Neobank have a, you know, a wallet kind of movement, like the way we saw a lot of wallets flooding the market and some of them becoming really big. And secondly, uh, will they help banks in terms
1: of lending? Mm-hmm. These are the two questions with regards to bank. So I can respond with a general comment on that, uh, Tinesh. Sorry, and just a very quick one. Uh, sure. Of course, time will tell. But I do think uh, the, the challenge will be, the new banks will come with no legacy systems, right? So that's a big plus. No... No set ways of doing things. That, that's that's that been an advantage. And as I mentioned before, that helped us as well in the way we were looking at things. But what really will determine success will be how the overall revenue model stacks up. There are multiple products that a bank does or a different kinds of lending that an NBFC would do or other products they would do. So to me, it would really be a success of the business model uh, more than you know, just about new banks coming in. And that we'll have to wait and see right? Uh, It also depends on how regulation shapes up. It depends on customer acceptance. And it really also depends on how we recover and how customers, what they take back from this pandemic, Uh, right? Do they uh, change the way they bank? Do they stick more to comfort and something that they believed in as we recover? Uh, I think all those questions, so I know it directly doesn't answer your question, but I I do think it's, it's, it's hard to take a view on this at this point.
4: Yeah, and uh, Tanish, I'd like to share my view, just basis, you know, a decade of partnering and collaborating with banks at Bank Bazaar. I think there are two parts to it, right? One is, can you engage and build a huge consumer base, right? Uh, And secondly, can you collaborate with a bank to give a value prop? What is the value prop? You're going to help them access new customers, and you're going to help them access and build a profitable portfolio. I think the neo banks have to answer this question, and like Jasmeet said, time will tell, Right? Can they build a sticky product, right, wherein millions and millions of registered consumers are comfortable using the product because there's a value proposition, right? The the product is able to help them manage something better. Uh, And secondly, can you then partner with a balance sheet builder such that the balance sheet builder sees value, right, new customers? Like, for example, at Bank Bazaar, 90% of what we give a bank is new customer to the bank. So it's always a very open conversation. They don't see us as competition. They're saying that, fine, I have my own system for my customers, and now I want new customers, right? So I think if they can figure out these two building blocks, uh, you know, it could become interesting.
3: I quite agree with just me and Adil. So for a new bank to be succeed, regulation will have to play a huge part. We've moved, uh, you know, we've taken set in the right direction. Uh, that's, that's one. And... After regulation, obviously, revenue dynamics will come to the fore. I just mentioned, and uh, those revenue dynamics, therefore, which product in terms of the life cycle will come first, which will come second, and of course, the typical fee-based product without having to take the risk of, you know, an NPA of that sort is obviously investment, savings, insurance, and that's why typically you will see those uh, things happening first. If you take an example of new bank. Uh, you know which was, which is still the largest uh, new bank in uh, you know brazil i think there it was cost leadership plus digitization so digitization i think is a backbone here for any new bank to uh, you know, survive and develop of course then the you know, cost leadership again in india i think cost leadership is going to be very difficult and yet we know cost leadership really matters in india because we have a very cost uh, you know uh, conscious customer base here so so it's very difficult to predict, but I guess like every, every adverse situation in 2008 eight, nine crisis contributed to the Ubers of the world, the Airbnbs of the world. I'm sure this pandemic will also see the advent of new business, new you know new organizations, which will really disrupt the traditional thought process of the business model.
0: So we have uh, time for just one last question. Before that, Anshul, would you like to add anything to your banks? Question. No, I think, I think everything has been covered. Okay. Good um, one last moment. Let's start with Adil on this. Um, so, we have seen that, uh, you know, using technology in the past decade or more, uh, intermediaries in every segment, be it banking or insurance or other financial services segment, have really scaled up and become really big. Um, is this now the moment for intermediaries to do some kind of innovation to help banks um, you know uh, help banks with their lending and have there been innovations happening so just wanted to throw uh, the panel open for this last question so for example i think there have been some models which are tested or also probably put in practice where the intermediary and the bank share the risk on the loan so if you can just one by one starting with adil uh, answer this question about innovation from intermediary side
4: sure sure so uh you know uh given that this is the last uh, question uh reno and uh, tinesh fabulous uh, you really pushed us on all these questions now uh, i think that innovation is built right and i think i speak for everyone on this panel because all of us you know are partnering to see how this can be done uh we're facing a, a pretty large expensive complex problem you have a hundred million digital consumers out there no one person can build an engaged consumer experience with all of them. Not one person can give instant checkout to all of them. Not one person can give all products. Essentially, I think what we've done right is we've collaborated. We brought our strengths to play. The balance sheet builder brought their strengths, and I think we've truly right uh, increased access uh, and educated people on financial uh, products in India. So today, right in the middle of a lockdown, I'm talking about April May. You can't even leave your house. You can get a credit card, like Anshul said, in minutes, right? Or you can get a personal loan, like Adit said, or you can get a a quick business loan, like Jasmeet said. It is the product of collaboration. I don't think one uh, organization has done it. I basically think we figured out how to bring new people to the fold uh, and how to partner, right, in order to get the job done with high-end technology.
3: If I would just add, so one is what Adil mentioned. The other perspective is that, you know, in a time like this, in the pandemic time, I think uh, the intermediaries, is uh, that layer of, and, and you know, and I would need to really, really commend uh, the likes of Adil and everyone who have played such a huge, huge part in really making the customer aware and helping so many lenders reach out to the you know customers and different parts of the country. I guess what's what's important, what's critical is that you know. Intermediaries saw a break in the income, break in the revenue, right? Because there's no annuity business, right? I think the need of the hour now is for at least the award players like Bank Bazaar and other such marketplaces to co-create product, share some risk with the lender. And because, you know, they're as, as you know, uh, what do I say, proficient at doing that as a lender would be because they've been working with the lenders for a while and that provides anti-business. That provides, you know, a cushion in downturn as well. I think that's something uh, intermediaries should start thinking about and most of them would have. You know, that's something uh, I believe has definitely happened.
2: See, as a bank, uh, I think uh, partnership with various kind of intermediaries has been something which we've been working on for some time. And that provides you the opportunity to not only take things to scale geographically or to new customer segments, it, it, it helps you even when you are a relatively smaller institution, reach out. So that has worked really well. But uh, let me answer it in a slightly different way. What kind of intermediaries do we need for the future? If we need to crack the digital, uh, if I may call the holy grail of lending to micro-businesses or to more and more NTC customers, we need more data mm-hmm. intermediaries. We need to figure out a way by which uh, create probably something like a bureau to get access to telecom data, to utility data, data to insurance payment data, Uh, transaction data of FMCG companies, buying of a shopkeeper. Now, I think those are the uh, data intermediaries, if I may call them, who are required for making a massive wave or a change in the future. At least that's how we look at it.
1: So I I would say uh, we certainly are living in very interesting times. right? If I remember, I, I, I took a personal loan many, many years back to finance something and the experience was very different than what it is today. I remember taking out my checkbook, giving PDCs. That doesn't seem to, you know, and, and it's, it's happened over time. So I think from where we were to where we are is a collaboration of an ecosystem. It's the regulatory framework, it's the technology, it's the open architecture. And I don't think any bank today can survive purely by saying that this is my customer. I think that territorialism is over. So I think that's a reality even today. Uh, Having said that, I do think uh, there will be few new areas where this could happen. I think uh, Anshul mentioned correctly, data, right, we talk about uh, because at the end of the day, for somebody who who doesn't have a customer base, they're looking for a customer, they're looking for a data to underwrite them. I think more importantly, it's going to become a well-knit ecosystem where the loan does not necessarily need to originate from a customer's perspective with the bank. I'm very happy being in the background, be it co-lending or be it uh, you know facilitating a transaction uh, i mean banking will become invisible right so it's it's more about facilitating it it's the need which needs to be fulfilled so i do think there will be opportunities both on data as well as technology and of course across the ecosystem so and i'm, I'm really excited that we live in these times where where we have such conversation this has been truly engaging and thank you to uh, Tinesh, you and Renu and, and to all the panelists. I've i certainly learned a lot, learned a lot. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll continue the conversation offline and, and again in the future. Thank you again.
3: Yeah, it was really Many thanks for it. Was really nice
0: all of you to join here. us.
3: Yeah. Thank you so much, Renu. Thank you so much, Tinesh. Thanks to all the panelists. It's it's been a learning and enriching experience. Thank you. Renu,
0: would you just yeah, would you take the closing remarks?
3: Yes, uh, can I just ask uh, br- uh, the panelists to briefly sum it up?
2: Okay, so uh, in my mind, uh, I think uh, this this phase of pandemic, uh, the uncertainties and give, continue.
3: And give the closing remarks here, right?
2: Sure. Sure. Uh, uh, the uncertainties continue, but I think, uh, like it was mentioned by the other panelists, the ecosystem needs to come together and ensure that we're able to finally provide a solution and, and and go as digital as possible. And I think uh, I lead this conversation with that belief that we will all outside, offline, come together and figure out more ways of uh, being able to lend to this segment and uh, to do better. Thanks.
3: I think it's going to be about digitization. It's going to be about collaboration. And, uh, you know, the whole the whole way of doing things will evolve significantly. Not just, you know, when I say digitization, it just doesn't mean converting a physical process into a digital one. I mean, the process itself has to change. It has to be more productive. It has to improve throughput. I think trying times, very, very, uh, uh, you know, effective times to learn new things and, you know, uh, exciting, difficult at the same time. So, uh, and hopefully, in the next two to three months, we will also see, you know, almost 70, 75% of the uh, revenue of the business come back.
1: So I I don't have anything more to add, Renu. I I gave my views. I just thank you again. And I think next two, three months, uh, very, very critical for us to see as we emerge out of this and how quickly the recovery is uh, and any new trends that emerge. 2021, I'm super excited, even though this is a largely depressing time, but I'm excited about the future and hopeful and optimistic.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I think we we just clearly see paperless and contactless uh, as the future. I think uh, from Bank Bazaar's side, just providing these services during the pandemic to our 50 million consumers, right, we think will be very, very exciting six months uh, for the rest of this financial year. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast.
3: HD Smartcast.